um, make a picture in your mind of the way the world actually works of objective reality and your place in it and then you might you, your priorities might change you might still have that crappy job you might still have fights with your girlfriend but you might have a purpose on top of that that's that's that will actually maybe even transform the way you behave in those situations that you previously and still find yourself in hello everyone and welcome back to mind matters now i bet many of you have been cooped in your apartments or your house or your flat for the past three to six weeks so or relax. longer yeah, or longer <laughs> So relax, grab your favorite beverage, and join us today because we're going to be discussing a number of interesting topics. Uh, the, to the number one uh, topic we'll be starting with being the subject of leisure. Now, that's something that doesn't get a lot of play these days. It's not, you know, it's not fashionable to be leisurable or to enjoy just your time to yourself uh, because we live in a world that is very materialistic and very focused on utilitarian objectives and work and conscientiousness and action and getting things done and making money. And unfortunately, what goes by the wayside is our human nature in the process. And so to, I've been reading a book by Joseph Pieper called Leisure, the Basis of Culture. And Joseph Pieper was a German philosopher. Of you know, He was a very... Uh, I guess, what would you say? A very, I can't think of the right word. <laughs> what, erudite? I don't know. Yes. <laughs> he was a very erudite uh, philosopher, and he was specialized in studying St. Thomas of Aquinas, and basically bringing the uh, middle age perspective the you know the the western kind of spiritual tradition into the the 20th century and he wrote this book leisure uh, the basis of culture after world war 2 and so he starts the book by saying of course this is probably the worst time to be discussing leisure when we have a country to rebuild and when we have the world in shatters and in absolute you know destruction and mayhem and yet at the same time now more than ever according to him was an important time to take stock of what it means to incorporate leisure into your daily life and you know the same kind of thing he was saying then could be said today in terms of all the problems that the world is facing all the problems each of us are facing uh, in our day-to-day -day lives and the fact that leisure is so alien to us and to, to many of us is because we're not really taught the meaning of leisure or the meaning of what it means to engage in leisure and how a man of you know some formidable intellect could say that leisure was the basis of culture is almost asinine <laughs> to the modern the you know the modern world it's like no that's just being idle you know and you know idle hands are the devil's workshop but no, there's a very big difference between idleness and leisure. And one of the big things that you take away when reading Pieper's work is that idleness is the opposite of leisure. And in fact, idleness is one of the you know one of the top deadly sins, um, in the sense that it provokes uh, its opposite. It provokes a sense of workaholism to keep yourself from being idle. 
that idleness and workaholism go hand in hand because there's some deep inner problem that as a human being you're not able to face you know your own spiritual divine nature and look at eye to eye in a moment of serenity of you know drifting off into imagination of questioning things of just asking questions and following your train of thought wherever it will take you and enjoying what comes out of it and so that is uh i think something that I really wanted us to talk about today because we have so much time on our hands yeah. <laughs> in, the, in this world today. So, that it'd be good to have the tools needed to, to use it well for our health. Right, because these days, like you said, these past weeks, a lot of people are forced into having free time that they didn't have beforehand. And you can get an idea of what people are doing by going on uh, social media and, <laughs> and seeing how they're, how they're using their, their free time. And uh, a lot of people are either freaking out or engaging in what might be deemed silly activities. Um, not really, not really doing much because I, I mean, I can, I can empathize and put myself in that position of being engaged in this kind of rat race for you know, all of your adult life and then all of a sudden not being able to do it. And then so what do you do with yourself? You're not used to mm -hmm. having this much free time. You're not, you don't know what to do with yourself. So you're trying to find things to do. And some people are, you know, handling that a little better than others, I guess. And that's the, the way it appears. But what can you actually do with that time? Like mm -hmm. what? Well, and also it's uh, the way you framed it the you know the the way you framed peeper's description of what he was doing and and why he was doing it i think is relevant because he like he said that some people might think this is the worst time for a book on leisure because it was just after a world war and there was destruction everywhere and people had to be engaged in this task of essentially rebuilding civilization uh, to a large degree so we will be in a similar position these days where nowadays we have a lot of free time but there's going to be a lot of fallout from you know everything everything that's happening and there will be need to be some rebuilding afterwards just looking at the unemployment and getting you know businesses back on track and who knows what the world's going to be like in 2 months or 10 months or you know this time next year so how do we fit that in not only in our present time you know the immediate time right now but in the in the coming in the coming months and years because we will need to, or I think people should get an idea of what leisure really is. And I hope you'll tell us, <laughs> Corey, and then to be able to basically integrate those things into their future busy lives, mm -hmm. because people are going to go right back to being super busy. Um, you know, as soon as they get, as soon as they get their jobs back, essentially, if they get their jobs back. Mm -hmm. And so for everyone in this situation, um, there's going to be something of relevance, I think. Well, one of the uh, descriptions of leisure as he defines it, he makes reference to the ancient Greek definition of leisure that's loosely connected to school. And when you were speaking a little earlier, Corey, about the uh, idea that you would have this time to focus on culture, on the mind, on things that were important uh, on another level, uh, there, there is this sense that in what he's writing that there is this school that we can engage in 
that isn't so focused and driven by those things that we're constantly told are what you should be doing. So quite interesting there. And like just an observation about how people are occupying themselves from what I can tell in our neck of the woods, which is in Western North Carolina, you have a lot of people doing house repairs. And because it's early spring, there's a lot of planting going on. And this would seem to be a very practical uh, use of one's time. And then, you know, you hear about all the folks who are just binging on Netflix. And we've seen articles about the uptick in the use of alcohol and the sale of alcohol. And and uh, the consumption of pornography has gone up. Um, so there, there is this kind of not strictly speaking, but there, there is a kind of, um, separation or, uh, bifurcation of, of people and, and moving towards tendencies that they would most naturally move towards now that they have all of this time. Uh, just because like what you said a few minutes ago, Harrison, you know, there are some people who just don't know what to do with themselves. And um, I have to admit that, that to a certain extent, uh, it's true of myself as well. I've observed it. I have a, a job outside of some responsibilities to the show and, and other things. And, and so there, is, there are these chunks of time where I, where I would otherwise have earmarked towards making a living. And it, it is interesting to me to see how easily I've been uh, kind of prepared in a way to, to do all the other things that are on the list of things to do that, that make me feel productive. And looking at the material that, we're, that we will be discussing today as well, which forms a part of, I think, what you're getting at with this book description. Yeah, the... Um like you were, you were mentioning the ancient Greek description of, of leisure, and you know, like Aristotle said that we are not at leisure in order to be at leisure. You know, that's a you, know, you can say that's an upper class, high class thing to say is that we only work so that we don't have to work sometimes. But I mean, he was speaking of people in general, just like a basic statement of the human condition is that we work so that there are. So we can survive, and then there will be time when we can enjoy the company of one another. We can enjoy the festivals, and we can recuperate. And you know, we can you know walk upright once again, rather than walking hunched over, like uh, through the Sisyphean kind of labors that we all have to partake in. That's just the human condition: is that we have to work in order to survive. And now more than ever, just how complicated the world is. It needs dedicated technicians, people who apply their intellect towards the most, you know, minute technical details of, you know, computer programs, you know, software engineers, the human body, health, you know, international commerce, law, and, you know, war, and all of these things that go on on this plane of existence on, that, you know, we call the planet Earth. You know, it's, but we miss out on this hidden dimension of, of our nature when we subordinate all of our time to the world. And so that's why St. Uh, Thomas uh, discussed, kind of equated, or he identified the cause of this kind of 
this idleness slash workaholism as being a sadness and a sickness of the soul caused by the world, that the world is, will, can devour you if you allow it to devour you. But that obviously as a Christian, as like the doctor of the church, this Christian point of view states that we are all connected by a spirit that we all have a connection to the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, or whatever you want to you know, call it, and that we, in our leisure, you know, we, can, we can hear it. You, know, you can hear the Spirit. You can hear the faith. Um, you hear the voice of faith, as I believe as St. As Paul put it, and that rather than uh, using your mind for some practical purpose or, you know, rather than engaging in intellectual labor or, you know, engaging in anything practical or useful, that there should be a certain amount of time dedicated to what uh, Pieper says is like philosophizing. And there's no, the biggest problem though, is that there's no one who can tell you, <laughs> there's no one who can tell you what to do at leisure because it's a part of your, your spirit, basically, your connection to to spirit. And that's a, that's a big thing, I think, why it's so easy to get caught up in work. And then as soon as the job is gone, mm-hmm. you know, your identity is gone. Mm-hmm. Your, you know, as soon as the job is gone, you have no connection to anything higher that, you know, that informs and stabilizes and directs and guides your behavior. Not, I mean, not in every case, clearly that's, but in many cases where alcoholism starts to, you know, go rampant and then, you know, use of pornography, anything that you can do to binge watch on Netflix and just avoid, you know, reality or avoid the situation or just, you know, enjoy yourself. Like these are things that they'd be called idleness. That's not leisure. That's not actually recuperative, you know, but in order to find what is actually recuperative, you have to begin listening and you have to allow your instinct to kind of take over and you start to ask questions you know, you start to enjoy the the life of your own mind, basically. You, and the thing, like uh, Aristotle said, is like the main question is what activity do you partake in when you are engaged in leisure? That's the that's the main question that Pieper sets out to answer in the book, and he connects it to uh, philosophy, but also not just philosophy, but love, like real love, where you can you give of yourself to somebody and especially in like a festival type arena. He, he's a very big proponent that the, uh, the loss of festivals of this kind of, you know, the dancing together and being together in communion and sacrificing a portion of time to the gods, you know, uh, whether it was, it's one day a week or it's one day every month, you know, every, you know, human culture has basically had some time that set off just, so that you can sacrifice and give to the gods. And that in some way, that was a regenerative type of, of practice, and that it was, you know, in no, and maybe practical from the sense that if you are experiencing a famine and you want to sacrifice for the gods, that the gods will give you water or food and, you know, restore your crops or, or whatnot. But that there's something deeply um, uh, rejuvenating about gathering together in 
kind of it's just the most impractical way, you know, masks and dancing and, and craziness. Of course, we're not saying we want everybody to go back to the dark ages of sacrificing lambs or anything like that. We're just, but what he's saying is that this is a, a dimension of the world that is lost when you are uh, living in this kind of Darwinian materialistic, everything has to be for a a purpose. You have to do everything for a darn good reason. You better have a five-year plan. Otherwise, why are you doing anything at all? Well, I just want to jump in there real quick and, and comment on something you said, Corey. You, I think you used the term, was it active listening? Something. Yeah, something along those lines? So, or questioning. Mm -hmm. And um, so along those lines, I, I think that there are opportunities we have. I know that when I have a question about something, a real question, a real curiosity, a real thought process that uh, inspires me to think on a particular truth. Mm -hmm. The answer usually, or some part of the answer becomes available to me pretty quickly mm -hmm. in something I'm reading online or an intuition or something that somebody says. And it's, it's those moments. I think that <clears throat> when we're not, you know, getting things done, for instance, when we're allowing, it's, it's sort of a, it, it might on the surface seem passive, but it's not, it's, it's receptive. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's like emptying your cup mm -hmm. for, for long enough to have it filled by something that we don't even know can fill it. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this divine, this, information field, this cosmic mind, however you want to call it, it's uh, a, a space that we create for ourselves when we, when we make it for ourselves. And there's something to be said for that, too. Yeah, John Bennett had a little book, I think it's called Creative Thinking. I read it years ago, so I can't remember it uh, precisely, but he gave a little exercise for something like this. He was talking about the thinking process and solving problems. And so the exercise he gave that he that he said regularly works for him was to if you have, if you're working on a problem you've got a question to think about it a lot you know do the work but then in order to actually have the solution come to you you have to think and then you have to devote a period to non-thinking mm -hmm. where you purposefully don't think about it and he says that in that period of time when after that period of not thinking about it the answer will just pop up in your mind or at least you know if you practice it that's how it should work and that's how it does work and i think those are kind of those the phenomenon you talked about is kind of related um because i have the same thing if i have a question something that's really uh, sometimes it's a question sometimes it's a it's like there's a a hole in my <clears throat> in my knowledge field that i want filled it's like so i've got this this kind of this inner desire or wish for something and oftentimes for me because i you know i love books it's been it's been for um just to like reduce it down to something very simple a book on this topic with this kind of thing in it because that book doesn't exist yet and and i really want to know about this particular thing and i can't find anything about it and then oftentimes I, like you know within a month or, or within the next year exactly what i was thinking of that i wanted to exist kind of drops into my lap and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, there it is. That's exactly what I was looking for. And that's happened like countless times. Um, in fact, Joseph Azizi's book that we, you know, we did the interview with him um, a couple weeks ago, that was one of those situations, one of the, 
that's one of the things that I that I wanted. And then, oh, here's this book that comes out, and it's like, oh wow, that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, but there's a sim. So that's kind of more of a kind of almost a synchronicity, like out in the world process. But there's a similar phenomenon with the mind itself, where you're struggling with something, you're putting the effort in, you're working at it, you know. No, not crazy. Uh, and then, uh, but but that's the active kind of effortful half of the equation. But then to actually effortfully not put effort in, to actually make the effort not to think about something specific, like don't think about that purple elephant, um, to, and to actually do that. Okay, I'm not going to think about this thing. And then you don't think about it for 5, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And then the answer pops into your head. I do remember in the in the book he was talking about, I think it was an excerpt from a, a talk that he was giving in the early 70s, and he said that, for example, you know, last week I was just not thinking about the the conflict in with Turkey and Cyprus. And he says, and after not thinking about it, the solution just pops into my head. And he's like, well, I'm not going to tell anyone because no one's going to listen and, you know, I won't be able to actually change it, but, you know, I know what the problem is and I know what the solution would be um, just from not thinking about it. <laughs> well, that's a... Uh that's really interesting because I'm thinking about the, like kind of the sinister aspects of a loss of leisure. You know, when we're talking about the things that you can do and how, you know, how just not thinking or not doing anything can, can bring solutions. But um, there's a very, you know, just the very uh, simple fact of, of just experiencing yourself of knowing yourself in, in in that kind of way of exploring the mind the life of the mind um is something that obviously in the aftermath of the third reich was something that had been completely destroyed in germany and it reminds me of the book the cunning of of history which actually you Great recommended book. that i read elon and the author you know theorized that the concentration camps were really kind of the outgrowth of this natural trend in the Western civilization towards total work. And that's what, um, that's what the uh, Joseph Pieper talks about. He's like, we have to get rid of this idea of total work where you only value people based on what they can give you, right? based on what they do for you. Mm -hmm. And the concentration camps were, were just uh, killing fields where you just you worked people to death, just like the, you know, the plantations in, in Barbados work were killing set, feelings. Work will set you free. Yes, where work will set you free. You know, that's clearly like a, the darkest joke that I've ever heard. That's one of the darkest jokes in history. But the thing is, is that that idea is still alive and well in, in our culture, and it continues, you know, to have so, sort of an insidious effect um, uh, in just... The, this kind of Darwinian idea of, of um, this a meaninglessness to, to human life, mm -hmm. that really people only are worth what they give. That if you're a, you're a doctor, you know, you're just naturally worth more. If you have more money, if you, you know, the more that you do, the more this or that, and you have to get on the treadmill and you have to work harder and harder because eventually, you know, work will set you free. That's the, the German saying, right? But the Russian saying is work will just give you a bent back. <laughs> work won't set you free. You'll just get a bent back. Well, maybe you can tell me, because I haven't read this book, if, if Pieper talks about this, because there's this idea of... Leisure. I'm going to use the, the, like the British that. pronunciation. Leisure, Leisure. And, uh, and, and civilization and culture that, that the two kind of go together. Because if you look at the history of even something work-oriented like the, the sciences or technology, 
all the developments have usually come from people with some spare time on their hands, people who aren't working, you know, 12 hours a day to survive and to feed their families and things like that. It's only when there is enough wealth in a, in a culture, in a civilization that frees up some spare time that people can then devote time to, for instance, like artistic pursuits. Um, we wouldn't have our entire kind of Western classical music tradition if we didn't have the ability to employ musicians to do nothing but compose magnificent, extensive pieces of music. You look at, um, well, so musicians would need a patron, usually someone to essentially pay them to to not have a real job. Like, uh, and that, that's another thing, you know, people say to often to artists, you know, get a real job. Well, it's valid, I think, in some, in some instances, especially with artists that might be considered parasites. But, um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, all of these aspects of culture are necessary to have a culture mm -hmm. and they would be almost impossible to the almost impossible to have as we know them. Of course, every culture has, every civilization, every non-civilization has, has had culture, um, whether it's in the, the forms of clothing or worship or, um, you know, songs and traditions and, and myths and all of that stuff. But again, when, when does that stuff come into play? Well, in ancient times, it would be when you're at leisure around the fire telling stories that was still an essential part of life and of course back like in paleolithic times people had more spare time on their hands because they didn't they they weren't engaged in agriculture which was this you know um really tough full-time job um you could you could hunt and get enough food to to last you for a week or two and um then you go then you just hang out for a while and make sure you don't die and then go out hunting again when you need more food. So there was a lot more leisure time, according to, <clears throat> um, you know, the researchers studying those periods of time based on archaeology and things like that. But in our present time still, there is this, there is this space for spare time to produce cultural things, cultural productions. And you need, you need that time, that time to engage your creative mind, essentially. And I think maybe that's the thing that's, that I see as lacking in how people are using their spare time. You you will find the creativity does seep out, but it's kind of like a real low low level creativity, like you see on Instagram with just Instagram trends, for instance, where people are following you know just following a fad that uh, that might be creative on some level, just because it's not ordinary. But I'm talking about like real um, real real creative productions like when you actually like the in the sciences like even the even the all the old scientists they they were like the musician they were like composers too they they needed to devote all of this time to research and to um just thinking and being idle in a sense but really at at leisure to think about things and then have these um have these creative ideas kind of flow into them that then were that then were useful from a practical point of view as well, mm -hmm. because um, that's one of the things I think about leisure time is that, and not thinking or thinking is that you actually get something that is useful to 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 then implement in in your life, um, in areas that aren't those times devoted to, um, to your leisure time activities.
Oh, that's a that kind of ties into this uh, kind of the the direction that Western philosophy has taken, and kind of that its role in this idea that you know leisure <laughs> leisure is not is a kind of a meaningless thing. It's just uh, it's just idleness. It's it's not practical. It's not fulfilling a function. And a lot of that kind of as Peepers writes goes back to. Francis Bacon and this idea that knowledge is power, you know, and that the philosopher and the scientists were going to um, uh, give the the tools to conquer the natural world, and then that you know ran through Descartes, and then kind of culminated finally with Karl Marx, who was like, "Well, we're screw it. We're not going to give you the tools to conquer the world. We philosophers are going to conquer the world." And so there was this. There's been this drift and this kind of a neutering of philosophy in, in a real in a real way. And so that it's it's not about. Um, and of course, this is just one, th- you know, one school of thought about philosophy. And philosophy itself can't really be narrowed down uh, into. It's pretty much what you th- what you think it is. It's, you're never going to get a solid philosophical answer, as he as he uh, Peeper points out. Like you're grabbing an apple from a tree. It doesn't just come out like that. Philosophy is its own animal. And um, I can't remember where I was going with that. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so after, you know, with that kind of neutering of philosophy has come all of the, the different biases and all the different ways that philosophy has become less practical. It's not, it's not um, about the satisfaction of, of entertaining a thought and seeing where it goes. Because as, as Pieper points out, Leisure isn't about what you start with. It's about what you end up with. So it's, it's not about what you start doing in your times of leisure, but it's really what you end up with. And then oftentimes, and with just the, the mind, you know, everybody knows how crazy the mind is. You know, you have to have material. You have to have discipline. You have to have the um, effort, put in the effort so that you have the right material with which to work with in, in times of leisure. And sometimes you have to work yourself to the bone, you know, so then, then you've, you can actually enjoy that, that time of, you know, of real actual leisure because you, you need that time. But uh, philosophy, obviously, it went off the rails when they said that there was nothing that you could see that there, uh, except for sense perception, that visual, visual um, uh, data was the only kind of, uh, it was purely mechanical, basically what I'm saying, and that there was nothing in the mind that you could see, which was, you know, quite at odds with like St. Thomas and others who, who believed that the spirit was a real thing, and that in fact, you could probably define the spirit as the ability to comprehend the world, that that was spirit, and that there were many different worlds out there, and many different types of beings, and that humanity sat at like a hierarchy uh, owing to our ability to kind of to look at the worlds below us and to internally understand them, and that you could visualize, you could see these things in your mind. It's not, it's patently obvious. It's you know, you don't need a schizoid philosopher to tell you that you can't think or you know see things in your own mind, um, but that that is one of the important aspects to him of a philosophy and it's it's part of art you know that's like you were saying Harrison um, you know people who are at rest and they come up with stories or they're coming up with mythology or that you know they're working things through um, trying to understand the world they're Mm -hmm. trying to understand themselves and they're trying to understand the world and it's an extremely important part 
of human life. And in fact, he goes so far to say that it's, it's towards the perfection of human community that you have that desire within people to engage in something like that, even if they don't really know what's going on. It's just leisure, you know what I mean? But you know, it's it's not producing anything, right? But mm. it's still, in its own way, it's it's subversive because uh, people thinking on their own. You know, it's yeah. it's like the authoritarian's nightmare mm-hmm. is that people can will tap into that that kind of that spirit and you know that spirit of of wisdom that really is deep within all of us. Well, Corey, you said quite a lot there that uh, merits commenting on. One of them was the importance of. Uh, properly used imagination and uh at some point if we have time today i wanted to get into this novel a little bit um by philip pullman which gets into the importance of imagination i think einstein had a had something to say about that as well there's a great quote by him but you got into the necessity for using one's mind and imagination to or or insight or the mind's eye to help bridge the understanding of ourselves to objective reality, where there are some things that we might read about or contemplate which require a certain amount of extrapolation and and inner visualization in order to get an approximation of how things really are when we're trying to map reality for ourselves. So... On that note, getting back to Joseph Azizi's uh, book about Gurdjieff, there was a, a wonderful portion of it that I... There was so much in the book that we didn't get to discuss in the interview of a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure we'll be returning it to it in various ways. Uh, but I'd like to read a little bit from this because I think it speaks to something you just mentioned about hierarchies and also to uh, intelligent design, uh, which comes to us in a book about Gurdjieff. And I know, Harrison, you, you had noticed that too in, uh, in J.G. Bennett's work mm-hmm. as well, that, that there's this kind of built-in understanding of a higher order of things that could only be attained through piecing together knowledge and, and using one's inner vision and and powers of language to piece it together and express it in a in a book such as this so from azizi's book the key to our present position is that reality in the absolute sense is a unity possessing the unity is not of a monolith but of an organism for the whole is one as quote as an apple is one however we ourselves as part of that whole, do not possess the internal unity or individuality that we should. Lacking this unity in ourselves, our faculties cannot work as they should, and so cannot perceive objective reality. If we desire to change, then this diversity needs to be harmonized into, or at least toward, a unity, albeit a relative unity, a sort of microcosm of the larger cosmos. As A.R. Oraj said in Expounding Gurdjieff's System, quote, an individual is a microcosm, but the only difference between it and the megalocosmos 
is that the megalocosmos is very much more actualized than we small fry are, end quote. Megalocosmos is clearly enough from the Greek and means, quote, the great cosmos. Between ourselves on this planet and the whole, there are other levels or orders, such as those of the solar system and the Milky Way. Each of these can be considered as a, quote, cosmos, because it is, because it is a living being which lives, breathes, thinks, feels, is born, and dies. Each cosmos being a living entity, it follows that in our cosmos, quote, there is only one life, and we are the highest biological development in the cosmos, end quote. This single life force manifests throughout the cosmos. In human life, it can be developed into, quote, objective reason, which has the corollary that the purpose of human life is, quote, to attain within objective reason. And this is, I think, the important part. He says, in this system of cosmoses, or orders, four insights are fundamental. One, the universe is a creation. Two, the creation was a dynamic movement from the cosmic whole into the cosmic plurality of phenomena so that intelligent creatures are ultimately the products of higher intelligence, not chance developments from lower forms. 3. The purpose of the universe, and all that is in it, is that the plurality should maintain the cosmic whole by transforming coarser substances into finer, and thereby have the chance to itself evolve into a higher form. 4. The highest purpose of humanity is consciously joining in that process of maintaining that whole through the conscious transformation of received substances, and so developing objective reason and evolving to serve higher purposes as a higher form of life. Wonderful. <laughs> just wonderful. Well, and that, just, that ties into what Corey was saying about understanding. Um, because to get back to how we how we initially framed this discussion of leisure as as not a practical thing, but I'd say if it's not practical in the sense of material and, um, you know, working at something to, to get this material result, it still has a purpose. It still has an aim. Um, it's just a, a higher aim. It's not limited to that sphere of human activity, but there's still a purpose behind it. There's still benefits from it because, you know, you could, you could look at all the, all the reasons why leisure is a good thing and those would be reasons for doing it. It would be practical in that sense in that there is a, a purpose that is fulfilled by making use of leisure and, and, uh, and actually engaging in it. So like tying all that, tying a bunch of these ideas together from the, from that quote, there is this idea behind that of, First of all, uh, to to write something like that, you need a, um, a a pretty big awareness of not only philosophy and some science and basically this this grand picture of the way the world is, and you have to th you have to have thought about it. Like Joseph Azizi's obviously thought about it a lot. Um, he's encountered a lot of material, read a lot of material, but also internalized it because he's thought it for himself. And I think that's one of these 
one of the, one of the uses of leisure time is to do to engage in that thinking process it's a different kind of thinking it's not a a practical thinking of, okay i have to i'm going to do this for this for my job because i need this because that's what they told me to do and i need to make money it's it's more of a what is the nature of the world and how do i fit inside of it and for oraj and i assume for gurjev too because that's where oraj got all these ideas and a very important thing well no definitely for gurjev too was what they called pondering to actually sit and ponder something so this was i get uh, i'm guessing that it might be similar to um the what meditation actually originally meant and like uh, meant to for example the stoics um to actually meditate on something wasn't to engage in meditation like a yogi it was to to engage in a particular type of thinking about something like a, a daily meditation for a stoic was to actively reason about the previous or the, the day that you just lived how how you either met your goals or didn't if your behavior was virtuous or not virtuous how you measured up essentially mm-hmm. so that was a meditation so there needs to be a a kind of active reasoning about the things which you have learned in order to to create a picture that you can then fill in with all these details but also then to place yourself in that picture because as a microcosmos of the megalocosmos to find your place in it your pur- your purpose in it because you won't find your purpose in it if you don't actually actively um try to find your purpose in it you'll just end up fulfilling a, a mechanical purpose like um in the in gurdjieff's work you'll there are two opposite or two two basic modes of being one is to to fulfill your cosmic function totally mechanically in which case you f- fulfill a function to the universe it might be as fertilizer Mm-hmm. or to engage in the world consciously to find your place in it and to serve a higher purpose because there there is the possibility of a higher purpose so with leisure time you can pon- you can think about and ponder the, th- the the material that you've acquired from the world and all the things you've read and heard and seen and create that picture for yourself and and find that purpose for yourself um what what is your purpose in this world why are you here what are you doing mm-hmm. and you might find that well i'm not actually here to be a, a mindless automaton and working in my in my cubicle in my cubicle for some person i don't really like you know helping them make more money than me um that's not really the the purpose of life that might be that might be something that is necess- uh, a necessity for certain reasons to stay alive because you might not have very many other options that may just be where you find yourself but there are higher purposes over and above that um that just um you know drab mechanical existence that you then when you do have spare time you spend it on something equally not enlightening or not fulfilling to just be idle and passively just accept the the you know the things coming at you from netflix um you know with any without any either critical mind or active engagement because you know it's a pretty sad existence when you think about it to to first of all spend all of your time in a in a job that doesn't really give you anything except the 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 very helpful thing of money to to live and not to die but then you know on your in your evenings or on your weekends you then just do nothing because it feels good um so we'll imagine like looking back on your life after 
several decades of living and then you, you, you look at your job. Oh, what did you, what did you accomplish in your job? It's like, well, you know, not much, not much to be proud of, you know, basically. And then what did you, what did you do in your spare time? Oh, nothing. I just watched TV. I got in fights with my girlfriend in the weekend and we screamed at each other. And, um, that's, you know, it's pretty much it. Like there's gotta be more than that. Right. And if you, if you spend a little time thinking about things or just gathering, gathering material, everyone needs material to work with. So you should probably read or, or watch something to actually, with the intent of extracting something from it, extracting something from it and from which you can then make something, um, make a picture in your mind of the way the world actually works of objective reality and your place in it. And then you might, you, your priorities might change. You might still have that crappy job. You might still have fights with your girlfriend, but you might have a purpose on top of that that's, that's, that will actually maybe even transform the way you behave in those situations that you previously and still find yourself in. Mm-hmm. Might transform the way you approach your job, even if you keep it. You might have to have a, mo- a more fulfilling life in your crappy job if you change your your perspective on life in general and you might actually have a, a better relationship with the you know with your family and the the people around you and this gets back to the social aspect because you talked about how peeper says that this is a, a kind of a there's a communal reason for for leisure too and, and and an outcome from it it's not what you go into it for it's what comes out of it mm-hmm. and one of the things that comes out of spending time together for instance is to is to actually have is to actually build a a better community with the and better relationships with the people around you so there's this so leisure time if i could sum it up would be to that there should be a few a, a few purposes or aims either um well that can be consciously you can be consciously aware of and actually try to consciously direct your leisure time activities towards and that one that would be like to, first would be to focus on the self um, your purpose, what you're doing, how you can improve, what your what your what your purpose in life is, and and what you're actually doing with your life, and then there's the social aspect. How do you well, which relates to the personal aspect, of course, because the personal expands outwards towards the your, your external world and the people you involve yourself with. So from that, then how does what what is your social position? What is your what are your so, so, social relationships and obligations, and what can you sacrifice for the people in your life? Um, for your community and for the people close to you and then overarching all of that is uh, and underneath it too is this material this worldview that you create based on the 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 kind of intellectual material you gain about the world what what is what is the nature of the world what's and you can get interested in any kind of science whatever floats your boat whether it's biology or astronomy or something as that in that that kind of way in for just to have something to think about something to place yourself in mm-hmm. like um because i know i know a lot of people i was never too into too obsessed with astronomy for instance um but i know a lot of people who were and i can i can see the pull towards it because i know like probably like most kids i i liked space as a kid and astronauts and all that and you look up at the sky and if you just probably if a lot of people just took took a minute to get in the country and look in the sky that prompts some feelings mm-hmm. you know wow you know look at all that mm-hmm. and what is what is all this you know wh- who are we in this giant universe and 
what's going on out there and and what's my place in all this you know i may i'm i seem totally insignificant but you know so what is the purpose is there a purpose and well the the other very practical part of all of this is giving ourselves and helping ourselves to grow a agency to be active participants in the world that we live in because right now with most people being locked down for instance the context of of what we're faced with globally or you know semi-globally is all of these circumstances and limitations that are being imposed upon us from without where we are economically and uh, societally we're being told we can't go out we can't make a living we can't do the things that we are normally used to doing uh, Catherine Austin Fitz recently wonderful researcher in in economics and manipulation with the Federal Reserve among other institutions had something very interesting to say about this and in, in reference to people not being allowed to congregate and go to churches she thought that there was something definitely uh, satanic and occultish at work in keeping people separated and and unable to worship. And I thought that was very interesting coming from a lady who is so nuts and bolts and, and focused and chock full of hardcore data and information about government waste and corruption you know, for, for it to come from her uh, added a, another level of validity to, to this whole thing. Whether it's true or not, the fact remains that we are at choice. You know, we, we can succumb to some degree to, uh, to victimhood and, and passivity in, in reference and, and reaction to everything that's, that's happening around us at this point, or we can choose to some degree anyway to engage in leisure we can engage ourselves in the questions in like you were saying harrison our our place in the in the grand scheme of things it's a good question to ask mm -hmm. for ourselves and maybe if the the question is sincere enough and is asked for long enough there might be some answers that come to us in our environment or in the connections that we make with others or in a piece of information that seems to <clears throat> come as a revelation to ourselves a little bit of a a an epiphany of you know the light of truth uh being communicated to us quite simply because we're asking the question mm -hmm. so uh this is a as much a, a, of a constructive response to all of these forces around us, I think, as, as we can come up with, in addition to the practical, you know, preparing for the future and, and all that that would entail. Yes, and on that note, everybody, uh, we're going to wrap up the show for today, so we hope that you uh, enjoy some of your free time and that you, are, you find your questions and you find some peace and know that you know the the spirit that connects all of us it you know we're all united in this no matter how crazy things get and 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 we all wish you the best and we hope that you tune in next time to listen to us jabber jaw some more <laughs> bye everybody <laughs>